Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 28, Lovers Apart. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And this week we are discussing the third episode of season four of Lost Girl, which is called Lovers Apart. But before we get into that discussion, a couple of follow-ups from last week's episode, because I wanted to clarify the last couple of weeks have been really busy for me. So I have basically watched the episode and then recorded the podcast. So I have not been able to like go back and double check things. So there's a couple of things that I feel like if I had seen them a second time, I might have said a little differently. So first of all, we were talking last week about the clothes that little Tamsin is wearing when Dyson is fine, finds her. And we were asking, you know, where'd where'd she get those clothes? Did Dyson leave them or something? But I think going back to watch Those Who Wander, Tamsin is wearing like a white scoop neck t-shirt under that blue jacket she was wearing. And so I think that's what little Tamsin is supposed to be wearing. So my bad, continuity people over on Lost Girl, you did okay. I had just forgotten <laughs> about that shirt and it looked different on a tiny little kid, you know? And it's all sufficiently dirtied up, as one would imagine it would be after all that time in the woods and a car crash. Exactly. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing, we had a discussion last episode about who the claimed human death mask might be that we saw amongst all of the death masks that were in the Unimens lair, I guess, cave. I don't know what to call it. And Carolyn Rodham commented on our show notes that the death mask might be for Crystal. And after rewatching that scene, it looks like it is a woman's face, given the way that the lips are drawn. And I kind of had the same thought when I rewatched it before I read her comment. And, you know, the end of this week's episode suggests that something's going on with Crystal. But we're not going to get into that now because I know Annie's going to have a lot to say about it. So <laughs> we're going to save it until later. <laughs> What's going on as far as the drink special for this week's episode, Chris? Because you came up with it again. I did. And... And everybody who's talked to me since then has has known that I've been giggling about it since I thought of it, because I'm kind of evil. And we'll give you the the uh, ingredient list first. It's one ounce of Yukon Jack, which is a uh, honey whiskey liqueur thing, three quarters of an ounce of amaretto, and I believe two and a quarter ounces of cranberry juice. And so the name of the drink is Crystal Virgin. Oh, you guys didn't tell me that. I was like, where's the name? And I'm like, they're omitting something on purpose. <laughs> because I'm evil and wanted to troll you. Thank you so much. As soon as you said something about the name, I'm like, they're just going to pull a fast one on me. <laughs> but yes, we are having a crystal virgin to remind Annie that Lauren no longer is one. <laughs> You should see Annie's face right now. Annie is not happy with me at all. <laughs> I'm going to keep drinking my drink and then go get another. Well, this is, I think it's supposed to technically be a shot, maybe multiple shots. I don't know, but I'm going to get a drink it all at once. So cheers. <laughs> cheers. Yeah. Cheers, you guys. And by cheers, Annie meant <laughs> F you. I'm laughing, really. I, I love these guys, but there, there are some nights I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
Okay, so before we get into talking more about the nitty details and listening to Annie sob probably for about 15 minutes. <laughs> let's, Accurate. <laughs> let's talk about what was sort of our brief kind of initial reaction to the episode. Did you like it? Where, where, where did you stand on the episode? You can go first, Annie. You know how I said last week that I have... There are many subtle levels to my fandom for my favorite shows where I have my favorite episodes. No, and then there are the medium episodes, and then there are what I call the least favorite episodes. This was probably my least favorite episode of the entire series, and it's not for the obvious reasons, but I will get into that later. I think the story was a little... I mean, the story was good to see Bo back, but um, it felt like a little bit of fay of the week of me to fave of the week to me. And I wish that um, more of those ongoing questions, you know, with the slow rollout of who is the wanderer, who is Bo's dad, who did the memory wipe. I wish those questions had been addressed again. I have to completely disagree with Annie. I actually really, really loved the episode. It was so funny when telling Stephanie, I, I, I intended to stay off of Twitter and Tumblr and everything, but I actually inadvertently glanced at Tumblr because I was making a post for our other podcast for Orphan Black. And so I I inadvertently caught a couple of posts about about the episode and so some of it was spoiled already and you know, people were freaking out basically. And so I was sort of bracing myself for the episode. And I watched it, like, in the middle of the night. And basically, I got to the end of it, the credits rolled, and I actually started laughing out loud in the dark in my <laughs> living room because I couldn't figure out what everybody – well, I kind of knew what everybody was so upset about, but I just – I disagree so very strongly with the um, enormous amounts of upset that I've been seeing. So as for me, I like this episode. I'll, I give it about a B. I didn't love it, love it, but I liked it. It was certainly, I think, an improvement over last week's episode. It had a lot better narrative cohesion, but, you know, it was not one of my all-time favorites, and it still isn't as as much fun and as great as the first episode was. So I liked it. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing that I disliked about it, but I'm just saying, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. So I think a big reason why at least Chris enjoyed it and probably several people enjoyed it is because Bo is back. She had like so many lines and there were so many feelings and there's just so much Bo this week. And it was so, so nice to have her back again. She she was doing stuff and being Bo-like. It was it was thrilling. It was great. And I think even though her mind was Swiss cheese, she always has her instinct to protect others, to protect the humans. And, but what I find fascinating is that she still has that primal urge to feed. She still knows that she's a succubus, that she has powers and how to use them. I love that part. And I got to say, I was surprised how emotional Anna Silk played this episode because she she kind of broke my heart at the beginning when the family comes into their house and finds her. And she just looks at them all wide eyed and confused and asks, home? It just oh, it broke my heart so much. It's like this lost little lamb in the woods. But at other times, she seemed very clear on who she was. So I'm just going to chalk it up to the fact that, you know, she was supposed to be experiencing delirium from having jumped off of the train from one plane to another. And I, what did they call it? Transcendental sickness? I forget what they called mm -hmm. it. Yeah. But 
so, you know, part of that, I believe Cleo mentioned was delirium. So I think there was some of that, obviously, as we see at the end of the episode, her and Dyson's memories of the train are slowly fading. So I think it was maybe emerging from that world and re-entering to, to the, the real world, if you will, and, and sort of getting those memories back. So hopefully that's accurate. And I'm not just making all that up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there was sense. the whole thing last episode, too, where she didn't remember... Kenzie. I mean, she remembered Kenzie's name and kind of a vague impression of Kenzie, but kind of couldn't remember who Kenzie was. So, I mean, there was an established memory loss to some extent before they ever got to this episode and the transcendental sickness or whatever it is. So, I'm thinking the two things working together are sort of, you know, screwing up Bo's brain a little bit. Right, but it's just kind of interesting because it seemed like Bo really woke up when the compass restored everybody else's memories. But for everybody else, the restore of the memories seemed to be very immediate. Like, oh, they got it back. They remembered Bo. They knew what they had to do. Whereas Bo, it just seems to be taking longer. Maybe it's because she was still on the train that Perhaps. seems to be in this transcendental world or the path in between worlds. So um, and she could have been under the, the power of whoever put her on that train or the memory wipe or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess my interpretation of the stuff that happened in the first episode was that whatever was going on with Bo was different than whatever was going on with everybody else because they'd all clearly had their memory of Bo wiped, but Bo was just apparently comatose or something. That's so fair. I mean, who knows what all Bo has been through. We, we have yet to find out. So, so Bo's main story was with the Jumbie who was a vengeful spirit trying to take revenge on this family. And I think it was a good idea, but I wasn't the greatest fan of the execution. But yeah, I just felt like the 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 Jumbie storyline kind of ran out of steam. Yeah, I agree with that because again, I I think that is great to see Bo back in action and protecting the humans, but again, it sort of felt like a fay of the week idea. And I just would have preferred the episode to constantly what if the episode had been more on the death train? Um, and answering questions and who are these, uh, you know, other wailing trapped souls on the train? Cleo said they were damsels in distress. What the heck's that about? So whoever trapped Bo on the train must have interests in a lot of people besides Bo. But we have another 10 episodes to find out. So. Right, right. I'm, I'm not surprised. I thought they would probably dole that out longer it wouldn't just be immediate oh here's the wander his name is bob you yeah, know yeah <laughs> he right. likes cheese and to walk on the beach on sundays <laughs> yeah i don't know but i just felt that putting in the fay of the week story was the placement was a little weird i mean it was a good story but just show bo was back in action but i felt like it could have been done in a way that connected the dots or gave more clues because the storyline was just the storyline in itself as far as we know like you said, we have we have 10 more episodes, so. I do have some questions about the the Jumbie storyline. Like, when we hear, when we see Bo sort of in the beginning of the episode, she's hearing this voice in her head kind of, kill them, kill them all. And I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be the Jumbie or if that's something else altogether urging Bo to kill them. Do you, do you guys have any thoughts? I had Xena flashbacks. Sorry, it's a Xena line. Um... I thought it was the Jumbie upon a second viewing. Yeah, about halfway through the episode, I'm like, oh, it was the Jumbie. Because when it happened, it was just kind of like, you know, uh-oh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounded like her voice. 
that's kind of what I was thinking, but I guess at that, I guess maybe the reason Bo was only hearing her at that point was because she was still outside of the house, right? And she hadn't jumped into Julia, who then took her inside. Because, because I feel like, why didn't the Jumbie just just possess Bo and have them have her kill people? But I, I guess at that point, the reason why was because the Jumbie hadn't really been permitted inside the building yet, because apparently, like the shoes worked to a certain extent, and maybe Bo was is. You know, even though her mind is Swiss cheese and she's not quite herself, maybe she was a little too strong for her to be possessed at that point. It's only later in the episode that she's weaker. Well, and the Jumbie's modus operandi is to possess a family member to kill the rest of the family, so. But then why was she encouraging Bo to kill them? Maybe any way she can, I don't know. She's like, well, I got a succubus, so I might as well use her. I don't know. But, and then my other question. I guess it's not really a question, but I thought it was kind of confusing because they called the Jumbie kind of two different kinds of fae because when Bo asked her what she was, Jumblia was chanting, you know, Jumbie, Jumbie, Jumbie. And then Cleo, when she was possessed, was chanting the same thing. But then when Bo, you know, she sucked the Jumbie and they went into that very pretty garden, wherever it was, <laughs> in the Jumbie's head, I don't know, and the Jumbie said that called herself an elemental like Cleo. And then later on in the episode, that became important because Bo reveals that the, you know, the Jumbie had healed her of her transcendental sickness. So it was kind of confusing to me that they called her both the Jumbie and an elemental. But I guess the distinction was when she was alive, she was an elemental. And then when she died and became this, this vengeful spirit, she was a, a body jumper. Yeah. 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 I didn't see that distinction. So that's a good point. I thought it was a little awkward that they called her a body jumper, though, because isn't that what they called the Xian in Dead Lucky? But, I mean, as they've established in other, with other types of fae, there are various kinds of of each type of fae. Does that make sense? Because uh, in the episode with Saskia, where they introduced Saskia, I think it was, she was talking about um, how, you know, oh, it's probably some some type of... Sex cheat eater. Right. Right, and so she was talking about, I think she named Incubus and Succubus, and I think there was at least one other. So I, I would assume that there are various distinctions between types of, of Vey, So, And that's fair, but I just feel for clarity's sake, as somebody who's you know been a viewer from the show from the beginning, if I hear Body Jumper... I expect to see the the Xian because Trick says they're called you know they're called Xian we call them body jumpers, so it seemed like more of a specific term for that particular species. So once they actually started calling her the Jumbie, I was like, oh, she's something different because I was a little confused when Julia suddenly collapsed to the ground and there wasn't like a a dude standing next to her having touched her because that's how the body jumpers in dead lucky transferred bodies is by touching and they could only inhabit dead people so i just thought that was a maybe a little confusing actually the jumpy is kind of the opposite of that isn't she now that i'm yeah. thinking about it mhm mm being a ghost that is possessing live people i i thought that the jumpy's backstory was was interesting we even though they never said anything explicitly about race that there was it was clearly a a biracial couple the jumpy and her fiance noah and i think it's a fair inference that perhaps part of the reason why the jumpy when she was alive was was suspected of being a witch was because there was this biracial cu couple which during that time period it looked like it was probably 
I don't know, late 1800s would have been pretty taboo, if not illegal. I don't really know the laws around that in Canada, but in the United States, it would have been illegal. I had the same thought because um, uh, I love that the lost girl always doesn't make a mention of it and shows biracial couples and same-sex couples and all different kinds of couples and uh, just makes no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I, I actually thought, I was like, oh, what time period is this? Is it like post-Civil War or whatever? And at first, when um, Noah was protesting, when uh, the Jumbie was getting led away to be burned at the stake, I thought, is he like, you know, is she like her, his uh, former slave or what? Or And then I, the fact that she said it was um, her fiancé, I was like, oh, wow, that's really neat. Because I did like that kind of that that element of the Jumbie story that maybe we were thinking, oh, the Jumbie is just this evil spirit who just has it out for this poor family. But to realize, no, there's there's motive here. It's not maybe fair of her to take it out on all of the ancestors, but she was wronged in a, in a very terrible way. So I, I, I did like the, that kind of reveal to her story arc. Right. Well, there's the, the statement earlier in the episode where, where Jumblia agrees with Ian's statement that she's pure evil. Because he, he says, oh, she's pure evil. And she says, that's right, I am pure evil. And then, of course, we get the reveal later. And so I'm kind of thinking there's some sort of statement in there about the looking glass self, which, if you're familiar with, is is the uh, my, my amateur psychology here. Um, it's the whole sort of theory that basically we are as people see us. So, I mean, you know, you, you get told you're a certain way so many times that eventually you sort of start to internalize that. So I kind of think that there's some of that going on here, because, because yeah, I mean, in the backstory reveal, she was very clearly wronged, and has been, yeah, taking it out on on the ancestors ever since. And here's the thing that I'm vaguely confused about: she makes the one person kill the rest of the family, but leaves them, therefore ensuring that this continues, you know potentially forever, which I'm vaguely confused about. Right, because she said that, I think she says at some point that she's not going to stop until all the Jenkins are dead. So it seems counterproductive of her to leave one person alive every time. Right. I'm like, you could have solved that problem when you had Ian kill the rest of his family. Well, maybe she just wanted to pass the torture on from generation to generation that they knew they'd never be safe from this vengeful spirit. and They'd always have to live with their looking over their shoulder or whatever. I know, but it just seems vaguely counterproductive to me. So moving on, the we have the Dyson and Cleo storyline, which combined into the the Bow and Jumbie storyline. And I thought it was it was kind of frustrating to me, but but understandable that, you know, Dyson and Cleo go to all this trouble in the last episode to get on the death train and then spend precisely like 10 seconds. Two, yeah, <laughs> 0.02 seconds. And then jump off and nothing really was gained from that experience all that much, you know? I, I did find that a little frustrating, yeah. yeah but it would have yeah. been nice to at least perhaps get a little bit more of a glimpse as to what was going on on the train, but... Well, again, yeah, we have these damsels in distress, and are these, like, souls that the Wanderer is trapped, or somebody else, and what does he want from them? Um, and Dyson's is still, you know, choking and throwing Cleo around. <laughs> She's just trying to help, dude. Be, don't be so aggro. To be fair, Cleo did 
sort of double cross him at the end of the episode. I know, but he could be a little less rough. I'm, I agree. I get why he reacted in the way he did because he didn't know what she was doing, but still, it was it was a little aggressive there. He gets so touchy when somebody touches him. I guess it's not though. I'm like, calm down, dude. Speaking of Dyson and getting touchy, I did like the idea of Dyson letting that guy in the ground lick his toes so they could get information from him. <laughs> I know, but they didn't show it. They just cut to him putting his boot on. We shall never speak of this. And I'm like, oh, man, it would have been cute to show it or really funny, I think. Do, do you really want to see that, though? Yeah, I know. But, I don't. Well, something. I don't know. I just I think it would have been funny to see him like cringing. I mean, if they didn't have, as you mentioned, Stephanie, to have something uh, done a little different where have to have Eddie kiss Dyson in uh, the last episode that we could, you know, see a toe licker. But then again, yeah, do we want to see a wolf's toenails? So I just felt sorry for that poor actor that had to be buried in the ground. <laughs> yeah, that probably was not the most comfortable. I know. <laughs> and I would have felt sorrier for him if we'd gotten your way and had him That's had actually had to see him lick Dyson's foot. I, I would not have blamed those actors at all if it was scripted to be like, no, we're not doing that. Because <laughs> uh, honestly, it's, it, I think it's one of those things that's actually better in your head than seeing it, you know? That, that's true. But I made it out to be pretty funny in my head. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have that, Annie. Yeah, I have that from this episode. That's one of the things I can cling to. So I feel like Dyson's story arc in this episode, as well as the previous episode, just seems to demonstrate that the writers are kind of not sure what to do with him. He just is becoming more and more of a flat character, just not very interesting, I don't think. And and Chris Chris and I were talking about this the other day, and I think she put it well, Chris. How did, how did you sum up what he's been doing the past two episodes? I believe my message to you consisted of... Chokehold, chokehold, growled the man, chokehold, broody speech. Dot, dot, dot. And I think that's fair. <laughs> but that was my biggest point of contention with the episode, is that the character is becoming more one-dimensional. And it's not just that Dyson seems to be doing oh, the same old brood, growl, um, you know, that he's done in seasons past. It's just, it's kind of more of the same. And, you know, he and Trick are still keeping secrets from Bo, and... You know, some people were saying he's taking advantage of Bo because her memory still isn't fully intact. And then at the end, we have another, I don't know what it is, quote unquote, fake marriage, where they're just both like, are we? You know, and I know um, some fans don't like that. And, uh, you know, but it's just like, I, I would like Dyson better if his choices were cleaner. You know, if he just said to Bo, I'm still fighting for you. I know you're in love with Lauren. But this is, I'm laying my cards on the table. But just the fact that at the end, they're driving off, and he's, I didn't notice this until I read it on Twitter, that he's still wearing the ring. And I'm like, dude, it's like, you know, the, the Jumby and her husband's, it's their rings. You didn't want to bury it with them. That was their whole romantic story. But I don't know, that just bothered me that he's still wearing the ring. And it's just, it's hard for me. You know, I there are things that I like about Dyson, but lately he's just been very dislikable to me, and that makes it harder for me to like his storyline, regardless of the fact that I'm, I know some people won't believe this, regardless of the fact that, you know, I'm a docubus shipper. I would like, really? shut up. I know. <laughs> oh my god. But it's just because Dyson's going to a point, I just really, it's it's making it hard for me to like him. 
and, you know, he keeps Lauren in the dark. He doesn't tell her that Bo's missing. When she's on the phone, he's just like, oh, no, no, stay away. But it's just that, to me, was the biggest point of the episode, not necessarily the whole Crystal and Lauren thing. And um, I hope the wolf comes around and becomes more of a one-note character. More of a one-note uh, character a, or less of a Less one? of a one-note character ha- has more notes added later. There you go. <laughs> Going back to the the Jumbie storyline a little bit, I actually really hated that marriage scene at the end. It just felt so contrived. It felt like it was it was put in there unnecessarily so that Dyson and Bo could get married. And and I and I get it. There's nothing wrong about giving some fan service to the Dybo shippers, but it just did not feel like it was necessary for the storyline at all. And I wish it hadn't been kind of arbitrarily tacked on there. I am convinced that they're going into further storylines with this. Oh, boy. This is going to have some sort of... Repercussions? Yeah, exactly. I think I'm going to need another drink. (laughs) So my my issue here with this storyline in particular, why did Dyson take the place of uh, Noah? Because that that didn't make any sense at all. Because... Bo was possessed, so okay, but why did Dyson... Dyson had nothing to do with, with Noah at all. No! Like, shouldn't he have put the ring on the the bones? Like, that would have made yes. sense oh, to yeah, me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. From the rest of the episode, it was clear that the Jumbie knew who people were. When she was pres- when she was possessing Julia, she knew to, like, fake call the mother and, you know, to get her to come out so she could slash her throat. And so it wasn't like throughout the entire episode... The Jumbie was just completely confused about how people were. So the fact that this would somehow fool her, that she would think Dyson was Noah, is completely absurd to me. And even the thing, though, when Dyson was saying the vows, he said me, and then I think Cleo corrected him and said Noah. And so he did say Noah, but I just don't understand why he had to why he had to take the place physically, because that doesn't make any sense. Except no. that clearly this is going to play out in future episodes as being something that has Emotionally, has Dyson issues. wants to take the place of Noah because he's pining after Bo and this oh, is a... Clearly, yeah, but... Yeah, but it's it's just... Storyline-wise, it makes no sense. Though. Yeah, yeah, no. but it's, it's just... Besides giving service to the Daibo fans, with the whole marriage and the whole story with Bo and Dyson in the last few episodes, I think... For me, if Bo and Dyson were the only romantically involved couple in the show, I would have been fine with it. I would have been like, yay, that's great. But you've got other characters that, again, I want to see serviced. I want to see what happens with Bo and Lauren's relationship. What happens with Bo and Tamsin? I want to see Tamsin again. I want to see Rachel Scarston on screen. So, again, having, um, you know, the whole repeat over two episodes of Dyson's pining for Bo and repeating the same thing over and over again gets tiresome for me. Well, because I will say, and I really do not mean this in sort of like an anti-Bo Dyson way. I think it's it's fine to give fans who want to see that some little little tidbits because at this point, Bo's not with anybody. It's up for grabs again if she could end up with Lauren, end up with Dyson, maybe end up with both of them. I'm not trying to say what is in game at this point. So it makes sense that they would want to throw some breadcrumbs out there in regards to Bo and Dyson, because Lauren's off doing her thing at this point, and you know we don't we don't know where that's going to go at this point. So it makes sense to me, but I just it just felt like just so clumsy. I wish it had done. I wish it had been done better. Yeah, I agree. And it was an awfully big breadcrumb Be- because, yeah, I mean, really the. 
the thing was, if if you'd had Dyson somehow possessed with with Noah, then you could pull that, that off. That would have made more sense. Yes, but I mean, granted, the way the story was set up, that really kind of couldn't play out. But so Cleo. I, is that it for Cleo? I I, I hope not, because that would be a very dull end to her storyline. Well, just kind of sad. She just collapses in the road, goes to the long shot, and, <laughs> you know, Chris and Anna are walking away, and Mia Kirshner's in the middle of the shot in the back. I'm like, oh no, Cleo. <laughs> well, because Bo says explicitly she didn't kill her, because she says, you know, dying with a smile would be too good for you or something no, no, like that. I think that. the implication of that statement was supposed to be that she wasn't going to, like pull a succubus happiness death on her. But then she sucked her and she collapsed. So no, I, I know. still think she was not supposed to have killed her. I think she was just supposed to incapacitate her. Right. I mean, it's left ambiguous deliberately. Well, I think if uh, um, Emily, Emily's interview this week with TV Guide Canada, she did refer to that and said and infer that Cleo's still alive, just that she's not going anywhere for the moment because it takes a lot out of you when you get she sucked by Bo. But she didn't explicitly say that she was dead. But it, it was kind of fun to see Bo back in action, kicking Cleo's ass at the end. I mean, you know my rule on TV deaths, too. That basically, unless there's some very definitive death where you can't come back from it, then that means that there's always the option to return, especially on fantasy and sci-fi TV shows. Amazingly... The the last sort of main cast member we see in this episode is Lauren. The only main cast we have in this episode are Bo, Dyson, and Lauren. There's no trick. There's no hail. There's there's no Kenzie, which was so sad. Uh, it, I, it took me a while to realize that we only have three of the now seven main cast members in this episode. It was kind, it's kind of crazy to think about it. So anyway, so our our final kind of, you know, major storyline was with Lauren and Crystal. And I'm just going to start by saying it's okay, Annie. It's okay. No, it's, it's not. It's not okay. Nani agrees with me. It's not okay. <laughs> okay, I I thought some parts, I, I really think it's cute when Crystal and Lauren flirt. But at the same time, with uh, Crystal's reaching over going, I'm going to get some sugar. I'm like, uh-uh. uh-uh. I just need some sugar. <laughs> Oh, need some sugar. That's even worse. I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh. Don't you go there. And then Lauren's like, I can't. And I'm like, yes, fist bump. But then later, all you need is a couple beers. And, you know, I, I can see. So, okay, let me just say, yeah, Crystal's got some not so ulterior motives. I mean, who answers the door for, for, uh, beer and pizza and their stripy underpants going, hello? See, that's, that actually made me like Crystal a lot, because not only does she answer the door in her underwear in a tank top, but she then does not put any pants on once Lauren is inside of her house. It'll just get in the way later, Stephanie. Exactly. <laughs> She's got some allure. I just don't want it directed towards Lauren. So this was me. How dare you not want Lauren to be happy? I, I know. I feel like such a... Look, it's just, I'm a I'm a docubus purist. That's it. Pure and simple. I just, I'm waiting for the reunion, okay? It's killing me. And it's not that I don't want them to reunite. I do, but, you know, things are very complicated right now. Well, I want and... them to talk and hash out some of their issues, if not all, but I know all won't happen because it's television and they have to create more conflict and more backstory. And... Yeah, I mean, that can't happen right now, Annie. Just the way the circumstances are, I would rather... Lauren, have a a friend. (laughs) Well, here's my take on the whole Lauren and Crystal thing, is that 
Lauren is really trying to forge a new life for herself, one that's not, that's away from the Fae. And I feel like Lauren has even, you know, yes, Lauren and Bo had a relationship last season, but I think it was kind of even made clear from the beginning that they weren't quite on the same page yet. And I know that a lot of even Docubus fans felt like Bo kind of took advantage of Lauren last season, or not, not took advantage, but like took her for granted over the course of the season. So I feel like Lauren really earned this little, even if it's just a fling, you know, this little relationship that she's having with Crystal. She really needed this type of connection with somebody else who didn't have, there wasn't, you know, without this weird power dynamic of being a human in the Fae world. Yeah. I just, well, to me, that's just writing I didn't like that Bo took Lauren for granted that they could have directed the character in a different way. But, you know, again, it annoys me when my favorite characters become unlikable, have unlikable traits. I know that's drama, but call me sentimental and just wanting a happy ending. I know it'll never happen. Well, even if Bo hadn't taken Lauren for granted, they still, as the way the, the system is currently set up, you know, they are not on equal footing. Lauren is a human. Even if Bo hadn't taken her for granted, there would still be that power of differential. And there was that differential in their relationship with Lauren having to make sort of concessions about Bo being able to feed off of others, even though she didn't really like it. So I, I don't know. I, I don't begrudge Lauren this little fling that she's having. I'm getting used to the idea. So I guess I would just say to Docubus shippers, I don't think you should give up hope. I think that there is there is hope for both sides at this point, but there is there's definitely hope for for Docubus. I hope so. I feel like a fool <sighs> pining about a impossible relationship. I, I will say to to you, Annie, and to the rest of the Docubus shippers, remember there is still car washing and ice cream in our future. So calm down, please, everybody. Keep that in mind if you start to get too stressed. Take a deep breath and think of ice cream cones. So not to sound too pervy, but I thought there were a couple of things that were kind of significant about the the sex scene between Lauren and Crystal. A, this was our first sex scene of the season, and it didn't involve Bo. Which is surprising. Well, Bo's out of commission. I I don't think... I don't think this has happened before, where the first sex scene of the season has not involved Bo. And most sex scenes you know, do, because I think it's really only Dyson and Kiara's sex scenes that didn't involve Bo. All of the rest have pretty much always involved Bo. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think yeah. we got like a lead-in to a Lauren and Nadia scene, or, or possibly a lead out of one, but... Yeah, we got a, a afterward on the couch lead out, but no actual sexy scene. Right. So I thought that was that was kind of significant. And in regards to sort of the show's portrayal of sort of female-female sex scenes, this is kind of the, the the less lot of jump cuts from this to this and, you know, dwelling mostly on kind of more smooching and kind of more foreplay stuff to it just sort of like went right to the middle. <laughs> and I was I was actually really surprised that that was the majority of what we got cuz compare it to like the the sex scene at the beginning of 304 fade to black, you know, there was some similar activity going on there but it was a lot shorter, but that's pretty much what we got this time. So I was yep. like, wow, I'm 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 blushing here. <clears throat> Betty McRae, more like Sweaty McFay. <laughs> 
outside of Lauren and Bed, we have not seen. And as much as my Docubus shipper thing is going off, I was like, wow, she's never smiled like that, you know, with someone in bed. You know, she was happy. So It's been a really long time that, since we've seen Lauren that happy. So, I, you know, I, I, I like Crystal at least to the extent that she has made Lauren this happy. And, and I think more than being happy... You know, this is perhaps the most at ease we've ever seen Lauren, the most relaxed, because, you know, I think Andrus mentioned in in the TV Guide Canada interview this week, you know, Lauren's experienced a lot of guilt. There's always been a lot of pressure on Lauren and, you know, the weight of of being enslaved or, you know, indentured servitude or whatever you want to call it. That's always weighed really heavily on her. So I think, you know, in this more more egalitarian relationship, I guess, if you want to put it that way. I, I think there is sort of, there's there's less of this other stuff going on at that point in this relationship, which is why I like it as much as I do. Well, which is why, to me, it's so sad that she gets sucked right back into it at the very end. And although I will, th- I will say, when I read the little blurb for this episode about Lauren's past catches up with her, I thought that would have happened right at the beginning of Lauren's storyline of her getting drawn back into, you know, the world of the Fae or, you know, getting snatched away or whatever. I thought that would have happened and then we would have seen that storyline unfold. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I should have said earlier, as soon as I saw, I'm glad that Lauren was that happy. But as soon as I saw that Lauren was that happy, I was like, everything is about to go wrong. Well, again, that's how TV <laughs> works. You have to get really happy so that the low seems lower. <laughs> Boy, for me, have the lows been low this season so far. So obviously, end of the episode, Lauren is kidnapped by somebody. And I have, you know, we have a lot of questions as to who it might be. Is it the Unamens? We saw that in last episode that they are interested in her. Is it Vex? I think they purposefully left it vague as in regards to who she, who he was saying he would offer up to them. I, I, obviously, he was making a play for Bo in last episode, but maybe he was also saying he could also get Lauren. We don't but know. But really, what's the best way to get Bo, right? Endanger Lauren. Take people she loves. Yeah, how do the Unabens know so much about Bo? They know this who this Enaline succubus is. They want her very badly, and they know all the people that... Well, they've been torturing people for information, clearly. But why, again, <laughs> it's it's the whole crux of the series of why Bo is so special and why she's so important. I think in regards to the Unamens, why Bo is important is that they seem to be there to sort of enforce fey order. So the fact that she is unenlined makes the makes her a really prime target. Well, for as them. we've talked about, Bo is like your quintessential rule breaker. She's sort of not gonna do what everybody wants her to do. And of course, the introduction of the Unamens in that web series was that you know they are there to enforce order, and therefore Bo is like a huge problem. So that's why they, in particular are really interested in Bo. But yes, Bo in general is is treated super, super well, special. I, I can't remember. Are the, are the Unamens, are they light or dark fae elders or neither? I don't think they said. I think they are neither. Which is ironic if they want Bo, who is on neither side. I guess they see themselves as omnipotent and super special themselves because they are the enforcers. Even because they are okay, because even though they may not belong to a side, they enforce the sides, whereas Bo is, is without a side, is dismissive of the sides. Yeah. But as for who took Lauren, I think you were asking Stephanie, it could have been the Morgan. She could have found the Karen Beatty file because the random maintenance guy took it out of the vent and then the Morgan walked in 
and she knows how important Lauren is to Bo, and she obviously wants to, you know, keep on doing her dastardly deeds. But then comes in the question of if it was the Morrigan, how long was Crystal sort of involved in the whole thing? From the beginning? Was she a plant at the restaurant? Or did she become sort of coarse into helping whomever kidnapped Lauren later? Because if it was the Morrigan, then probably she the coercion happened later. Well, yeah. I mean, regardless of who it is, Crystal has something to do with it. We don't know how involved she is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see in the next episode. But I think uh, she might regret it later. I think that if she double-crossed Lauren, she, she might be double-crossed herself, because as far as we know, she's just a human, too. So she can be disposed of by these very powerful forces very easily. She was just, I think she was a plant to get Lauren. Well, if she is indeed who the claimed human mask is for, but either way, I, I my impression from the end where she apologizes to Lauren before she gets snatched, I feel like Crystal is probably doing things she doesn't necessarily want to do. I feel like there's mm -hmm. something bad controlling her. Yeah, I think with Crystal, there, you know, I said last week, there's more to her than uh, meets the eye. And obvious, you know, as was shown at the end of this episode, she's in cahoots with somebody. I'd like to see that unfold more. In cahoots or under coercion. Yeah. Because the show loves to do that, where people do things because they're being forced into them or because there's... There are mitigating circumstances for everything on this show, which I kind of appreciate about the show because, you know, it's it's less about somebody necessarily being evil than it is about somebody being in bad circumstances. Because I think we've seen that every season at some point. So I actually have a crazy theory about Crystal. I, I Go for it. I like your theories. <laughs> Does it like somehow connect Bomb Girls and Lost Girl in some... Oh, damn it. I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> some some transcendental plane, another one? Hmm. Let me work on that for next week, okay. but, but no, not this one. Okay, so Crystal, when she was talking to Lauren, was talking about feeling like she was bad luck and, and you know, said something about having been a singer, right? She said something about, you can be the best singer and that doesn't mean anything in the big city or something like that, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so that and then what was the big dreams that will swallow you whole, she says. She says it very emphatically. And so I'm kind of thinking, what if she somehow got herself or somebody she's, you know, a loved one or somehow involved with, um, got mixed up with the Morrigan or, or possibly like narrowly escaped the Morrigan or something? Because of course, it was a talent scout. All this, yes. Right. All this kind of stuff sounds like what happened with Nate in mm. season two. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause Nate almost became a snack for the Morrigan mm -hmm. in exchange for temporary fame or whatever. So I was really excited to see the Morrigan this week. I, I think I yay. actually did do a little like yay or cheer when I, <laughs> when I saw her come onto screen with the eye patch with the, she looked good rocking the eye patch. She really did. Not everybody can pull off an eye but patch. She looked but... sexy with an eye patch. I must say, but I was, I was uh, kind of surprised because you know, the Morrigan calls the druid to her to re repair her eye. And after she's, you know, straightening her eye, which was kind of <laughs> hilarious. <That's flap. laughs> she says, not bad for a human. So does that mean the druid is human? I thought he was fey. Yeah, I thought just by name of calling him a druid that he's fey and that he was the one that Tamsin went to to get the 
what is it, the druid mix, and maybe that's why it didn't work. Maybe his maybe he's because he's human, or his powers aren't that great, or maybe he's become human. I don't know. But there are no established rules on magic, are there? Like there could be humans that can wield magic. We don't know. Well, druids, druids are they were basically they were priests in sort of ancient not ancient but you know early celtic people druids were sort of these priests and there are people who practice this older version of sort of celtic religion who call themselves druids so it's not beyond you know the realm of possibility that the druid would be a human but given everything that we've been seeing him do in regards to the magic i kind of was just assuming he was fae yeah Right. I think most people were, probably. It'd be interesting to go back and see if he was ever referred to as Faye or Dark Faye. And I must say, after seeing him be so cocky and kind of, you know, assaulty with Kenzie a couple of episodes ago, it was nice seeing him a bit humbled by the Morrigan. Oh, yeah. He just was so nervous. And I'm like, I kept expecting him to turn into a pile of goo right then and there. So some some stray sort of thoughts and questions the end of the episode where, where Bo and Dyson are driving away from, you know, the Jenkins country home, where the heck did they get that station wagon from? Maybe they just stole it. There was it. broken glass on the, on the dashboard. I saw that, but I looked at the windows and neither one of them looked broken. But maybe it was just, I don't know. And so then my other question was, who did Bo's hair while she was unconscious? Because cause at the beginning of the episode where we see her in the in the country house her hair is down like completely down there's it's not held up by any pins or anything like that and then she gets conked over the head with the frying pan and when she's waking up on the couch then her hair it's still messy but her hair is like half up half down and it's pinned in place who the heck pinned her hair up while she was unconscious <laughs> hair people are messing with us this season and, of course, the costume department is just going, let's find the ugliest shirts we can to put on Zoe Palmer. I was like that third one. I was like, are there horses on there or something? There wasn't. But it just was so weird and sunsetty, shady, and formless. And uh. I like Stephanie's theory on this. Here's my theory about the wardrobe that's going on for, for Lauren as Amber is that, you know, she's clearly trying to hide out. So she's trying to look as unLauren like as possible. And it's likely that she didn't have a lot of money. She probably took some cash with her, but she probably didn't have access to a lot of money when she left. So I'm thinking probably she, you know, hit up the local secondhand shop in this little town and bought you know, the stuff that they had that was remotely in her size, which probably was a lot of shirts with strange patterns and things like that, that people realized, you know, I'm just not going to wear this, I don't think. That does like, explain the the vaguely 70s vibe from yeah, them. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of got this like hippie vibe. So that's my theory behind what Lauren is wearing as okay, Amber. That's a good one. But it's still painful to look at. Oh, and speaking of the wigs, I liked in the scene where the tips you know, flirting scene where where <laughs> where Crystal gives Lauren her her address. When Lauren tilts her head down to kind of smile in that very Lauren way, you can actually see the weave from the wig oh, sticking really? out through the part. Oh yes. my god, that's funny! I gotta look at that again. <laughs> you can see like a little cross hatch plastic. You know, the the little cap that the wig the hair wig hair comes out of. Oh my you god! You can see it in the part. How funny! 
But given that it looks like she she goes back to blonde pretty quickly, it seems, and from what I from little bits that I've seen, it makes sense that it was actually a wig. So it's okay that we saw the the wig coming through if it was actually supposed to be a wig. Okay, just as a random, like a really random comment, you know, Cleo walking through the woods talking about the guy who was buried. Monkeys buried him. I had no idea what that meant. I was so confused. Me neither. And the only response it got was Dyson going, monkeys buried him? And the rest of the, we're all doing it with the monkeys? Never talked about again. <laughs> I'd be curious, if a listener knows, is this like some sort of story from mythology that people are aware of? But I was completely confused by that comment that monkeys buried this guy. And then one of my other, my other things is <laughs> Lauren talking about how she spent a year wearing a wedding dress and combat boots. I think it was during during freshman year. Which, of course, is one of those things that it sounds really weird when you think about Lauren as, you know, as we are mostly familiar with her. But then, you know, all the talk about, um, oh, knowing how to build a pipe bomb and and being wanted by Interpol and, you know, whatever, all the other stuff. It's like, you know, I'm kind of starting to get a, a newer <laughs> picture of Lauren going here. Yeah, I feel like this is a glimpse of Lauren in her political, more political years, I guess. And maybe this was, if this does indeed take place in Canada, I know they're trying to keep it vague, but whatever. It takes place in Canada. You know, prior to maybe Canada having marriage equality, this is, this was Lauren sort of making a statement yeah. about. But it would have been before she went to the prom with, what's his name? It could have been freshman year of freshman college. Freshman year of college, that was the impression that I got, yeah. Oh, Okay. Entirely possible. Can I you guess. imagine her going into the Yale classes in her wedding dress and combat boots? Yes. <laughs> I suppose she also could have been making some sort of statement about marriage being a patriarchal institution. I don't know. I guess there are a couple of ways that could have gone. And then the geek speak by Lauren about the baking soda. It's like, can't take the science out of the girl. Oh my god, that was so cute. I just, I love it when the Lauren bits, it doesn't matter. This is why Lauren will always be captured by the fate, because she's so geeky. And those just slip out. And people are going to go, you're no effing waitress. You're a, <laughs> you're a geek. She's going to be like, oh, yep, guilty. I think the thing that I loved about that was that it just kept going. I kept thinking she would <laughs> stop herself, but she just kept going. And it just kept getting more and more endearingly awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren's quite a rambler. I have a partay. <laughs> Takes one to know one, right? Yeah, the, Lauren saying partay is one of my favorite things. So, for those of you who have been patient and have sat through all of our rambling, I have a little bit of a of a gift for y'all, kind of, sort of, not really. So, we are doing a giveaway of the. Season 3 DVDs. They are, in fact, DVDs. It's a DVD set, not a Blu-ray set. Region 1. And we are doing a giveaway from now until December 12th. And to enter the giveaway, you need to send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com with the subject line Season 3. That's the numeral 3, not the, not the word 3. DVDs. And the subject line is important. If you don't include that subject line, your submission may not be counted. So... Make sure you get the subject line. And then in your email, I want you to include your your name, where you're from, and then send us a link to your favorite, either your favorite Lost Girl fan vid or your favorite Lost Girl fanfic. Now, 
we're only going to allow one entry per email address, but if you have a bunch of fan vids and a bunch of fanfics that you love, please go ahead and and send us what you, you know, everything that you would like. We're, we're getting some information together to do an episode in the future about Lost Girl fan vids and Lost Girl fanfic. So send us anything that you really love our, our way. We would love it. And here's my squeal about that, Yee! because I have been waiting for that episode for quite a while. The fanfic one, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, I like fan vids too, but because I'm a fanfic writer and reader, um, I, I just want to see what people have recommended. The sort of what you need to send us in the email, I'm only going to include in podcasts, but all the other information is going to be listed over at drinkswithadoll.com slash giveaway if you would like to see it all written out, all neat-like. So please send us our entries, and we will be very excited to pick a winner here in a few weeks. And it can be a Christmas gift for you. Hopefully, you know, if we get somebody picked by the 12th, it'll get to you in time for Christmas if you celebrate the holiday. Or you can give it to somebody else for the holiday if you know somebody who, maybe you have the DVDs already, but you know somebody who really wants them. So please send us your entries. Give the gift of Lost Girl. Give the gift of love. Give the gift of Lost Girl. We always need more converts. And you can also give the gift of sex scenes, because there's a lot of them on the show. So, <laughs> As well as, like, funny Kenzie Lohan liners. There's a lot of stuff going for the show. I shouldn't be so reductive. So. <laughs> Let us know what you thought of this week's episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. Did you enjoy the episode? Are you sobbing into your Docubus Forever t-shirt like Annie is? Let us know. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode, episode 28, over at drinksatthedoll.com. You can also send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com, or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line. That number is 972-514-7223. So I think that about does it for us this week. Actually, we, we probably are more than done. <laughs> <laughs> we are well done. We, in fact, we are well done, perhaps even crispy at this point. I was going to say, it's probably just char at this point. <laughs> so thank you so much. I'm glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. Who is probably still sorry. I am still sorry, yes. <laughs> I am not sorry. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.